Brands. Retail. Content and design. Brand activation. Data. And technology. Experiential marketing. The Brandemonium Podcast. Hi, this is Dan from Gwyn Sound coming from Brandemonium in Cincinnati, Ohio. And our next guest is Paul Smith, Managing Director of Storymakers, and then also uh, an author of a series of books in storytelling, Sell with a Story, Lead with a Story, and Parenting with a Story. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. What exactly is a sales story? What is a sales story? Yeah. Uh, it's So it's any story in the service of making a sale or keeping a customer happy. So, uh, and, and I use that word story intentionally. So I don't mean any set of words that comes out of your mouth. Right. Like if, if I were to tell you the three reasons why you should buy my last book, that wouldn't be a sales story. That would be a list of reasons why you should buy my last book, okay. right? In other words, a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. So a sales story is not the same thing as a sales pitch. A sales story, first and foremost, is a story. There's a time, a place, a main character. That main character's trying to accomplish something. There's usually someone or something getting in the way of them accomplishing that objective. There's some struggle ensues, and they either are successful or they or fail in the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a real story about something that happened to somebody. Sure. That's the first thing it is. And then if that thing makes somebody more interested in buying a product, well, now that's a sales story. Yeah. If I could go back for a second, mm-hmm. what, what kind of inspired you and led you to, to this endeavor? This kind of, because it's crossed a couple of different areas. So why is storytelling so important to you and such yeah. a, so much of a kind of a fabric of your life? Yeah, and maybe I'm a slow learner, but at some point in my first 15 years of my career, it finally dawned on me that, that storytelling was an important skill to have if I wanted to be a successful leader. And, and at that point, I was just frustrated that I didn't know much about it. I mean, you know, I, I got an Ivy League MBA and they didn't teach me boo about that. You know, <laughs> I spent 20 years at Procter & Gamble and they didn't teach me anything about that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I, I should know this if this is that important, right? And I read every book I could find on it, still didn't know much about it. So I was just frustrated. And so I, I set out on my own personal learning journey and I started interviewing CEOs and executives and salespeople and marketers all over the world, quite frankly, trying to find out when they're telling stories, what kind of stories they're telling, and, and did they work, <laughs> right? So I could reverse engineer my way into yeah. what makes for a successful <laughs> story. And, and gosh, at this point, I'm, I'm probably up to 300 or so executives, and each of them probably told me eight to 12 stories each. So you do the math. That's probably 3,000 individual stories I've yeah. now documented, which is plenty to figure out what works and what doesn't. But to answer your question, somewhere mm-hmm. along that journey, I decided, gosh, if I'm that interested in this topic, surely other people are as well. So it started to become an idea for a book and not just my own personal learning journey. So that's how it all started. Okay. And why are stories so effective? Why that approach? Yeah. So there's lots of reasons, and I I won't uh, bore you with all the neurophysiology that I I probably don't even understand fully myself, (laughs) but um, probably the single biggest reason is that there is... There's something about the way human beings make decisions that is not how we think we make decisions. So we we think we're these rational, logical creatures, right? And we're not. You know, the, the truth is, and all, all of the cognitive science that's been done tells us this is the case, that we make decisions, mo- most of them, subconsciously, emotionally, in one place in our brain, and then we justify that decision logically and rationally a few nanoseconds later 
in a different part of our brain that's more conscious and, and logical, right? So we leave decisions thinking that we made them for all these rational reasons. I, I, I wanted to buy that fancy red sports car because it's got, you know, not much depreciation, great resale value, whatever. The <laughs> yeah. truth is I think I look sexy in it, right? <laughs> yeah. But that part's kind of unconscious, subconscious, emotional. So it turns out if you want to influence people's decisions, in leadership, sales, marketing, whatever, you need to speak to both parts of the brain and rational reasons, sales pitches, features and benefit lists only speak to the rational conscious thinking part of the brain. But stories can reach both. So if you want to be effective, you need to be a good storyteller. Sure. And and what what constitutes just a great story? Yeah. So I, I, I think the answer is really three things with almost any type of story. So you've got stories that you'll you're reading a book, a novel, or a movie, mm-hmm. or the kind of stories we're talking about, business stories, marketing stories, leadership yeah. stories. Uh, across all of them, what you're really looking for is uh, a hero we care about, a villain we're afraid of, and an, and an epic battle between them, right? You know, think Star Wars with your Darth Vader and your Luke Skywalker and the epic you know, lightsaber battle. I mean, that's kind of classic storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Now, I admit that's rather Hollywood, so if you want to translate that into business language, that, that means... Um, a, a main character that we can relate, the audience can relate to, a, um, uh, a villain or a challenge that is relevant to the audience, something that they might run into themselves, and just an honest struggle between them. Right? So that, that's the non-Hollywood version of the same three things. And then I'd, I'd have to add one thing to that for, for sales stories, which is there's got to be a worthy lesson or call to action at the end of it. You know, there's no call to action at the end of the Star Wars movie. It's just, hey, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. Right? For sales stories, there needs to be a good call to action. So really, I'd add a fourth thing. But if you've got those four things, you're well on your way to a great story. Yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued by the fact that you have this series of books about telling a story, mm-hmm. right? But you had to do a story within the story mm. in order to really live mm. what you're preaching, mm-hmm. right? Tell me about that and what kind of research went into your into these books. So uh, I, I kind of uh, approached all these books. First of all, I didn't set out to write a trilogy, <laughs> but I guess it kind of turned out that way. Yeah. It, it ended up becoming kind of a brand franchise. I was only going to have one child, too, yeah, exactly. and then I had three. That so, life, yeah. life has different ideas, right? right? So it started with lead with a story and then parenting with a story and then sell the story so I guess it turned into something like that but um, the, the research that went behind all three of them is typically the, the same in three phases the first phase is what I would call or what people in the industry would call secondary research right you know I go read all the other books on the topic uh, all the academic studies and stuff like that phase two for me is primary research my research so I go interview if it's a book on sales I'm going to interview a bunch of professional salespeople or and actually a bunch of professional buyers Right. I mean, who better to tell you yeah. what sales stories are effective and those that are not than people whose job it is to listen yeah. to sales stories all day long and choose who to buy from and who not. Yeah. So I interviewed a bunch of professional procurement managers okay. looking for what are the best and worst sales stories they've ever heard. Right. Sure. And the same thing for the leadership book. I was interviewing executives and CEOs. Um, and the phase three is writing the book. But that's that's at the tail end of all of that mm-hmm. kind of research. So most of my research is interviewing people in the field, in the practice of either leading or parenting or, or selling and finding out what stories they're telling. Wonderful. Would you share some tips on how to choose the right story to tell? Yeah, so, so and that's, that is probably the most important question for people to ask themselves is, what story do I, do I need to tell in what situation? As opposed to, you know, how do I create a surprise ending or how do I, I mean, those are important, but if, yeah. you've, if you're telling the wrong story, it doesn't matter how well you tell it. Right, mm. you told the wrong story. Yeah. So the, the, the first question is, 
what's the right story to tell? So I, I tell my audiences, first of all, think of what is it that I want my audience to think, feel, or do after they hear the story that they weren't going to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trying to influence them to either think something differently, you know, feel something differently, or do buy something or whatever, do mm-hmm. something different. Mm-hmm. You've got to articulate that first to yourself. Once you've done that, then the three most effective places to look to find a story is a success, a failure, or a moment of clarity around those things you want somebody, that thing you want them to think, feel, or do, right? So either a time you've seen somebody do that really, really well, a success, mm-hmm. a time you've seen somebody do it really poorly, a failure, or the moment that you realize that that thing that you want them to think, feel, or do is really important for somebody to think, feel, or do. Like that's the moment of clarity where you realize, oh, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Because whatever it is that happened to you that made you have that light bulb go off in your head will make the light bulb go off in somebody else's head if you just tell them about it in the form of a story. Sure. I know you, I think we read somewhere that um, mentioned surprise endings are really mm-hmm. an important yeah. component. Um, Why is that? Yeah, so uh, again, kind of back to um, uh, the cognitive science behind it, it turns out that one of the things, the way human memories are formed, it's not like uh, like digital cameras today where you click and it's just there. It's yeah. more like old-fashioned film that you and I might remember, <laughs> right? For the, you <laughs> goes into the dark room and it takes an hour or so yeah. to develop it. Memories really form that way, and, and psychologists call that the memory consolidation period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's from a few seconds to a few minutes to sometimes a few hours after something happens before it's really processed in memory. And it turns out there are things that can either interrupt that process or enhance it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you're in a car accident or playing a football game and you get your head hit, you get a concussion, right? Mm-hmm. People who get a concussion often forget what happened right before the accident or they forget the accident right they they wake up and they're like what happened to me i don't even remember the car slamming on their brakes right (laughs) right yeah because the accident damaged their brain during the memory consolidation process so it never finished okay but you can also enhance the memory consolidation process and one of the things that does that was in your morning coffee Mm. caffeine Mm. right it literally makes the memory consolidation process faster and more efficient but another thing that does is adrenaline a little bit of adrenaline in your system that gets released when you're frightened or surprised. Mm -hmm. So literally a surprise ending in a story releases a little bit of adrenaline in your system that makes you remember the story and especially the end of the story where you've put the surprise, which is where the lesson and the action is, so that it will be more remembered better and you'll act on it better. So there's a very practical reason to put surprises in sales and marketing and leadership stories. It's not just for entertainment value. It does make it more interesting and entertaining, but it literally makes the story more effective and more memorable. Okay. How long should a sales sales story be? I mean, I would think sometimes you're in a, you're in a situation where you're like, oh man, if I'm, the the, the goal is to close. I want to get out, get in there and get (laughs) out. Right. Um, when, when they're not, yes, you, you just shake the hand and, and you go. Yeah. But is there some science behind or, uh, how long a sales story should be? Yeah, so uh, I wouldn't call it science, but I can tell you uh, how long the, the sales stories that I found that were the most effective mm-hmm. were almost all between one and three minutes, and they averaged two minutes. Okay. okay. So, um, uh, and there were some that were shorter, and there are a few that are longer, but 80% of them fit in that two-minute window, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so notice it's not five or 10 or 15, it's not an hour, right? Yeah. So you might have a one hour presentation with a buyer, but a sales story, you might tell three or four stories during that hour. The stories themselves, again, about a time and a place, and a main character did something and here's how it turned out, that kind of thing really should just be a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interestingly, I found out when I was writing the, the first book, Lead With a Story, that leadership stories are twice that long. 
they average about four minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now ask yourself why. Why would a leader typically get to talk twice as long as a salesperson? What, what, what do you think? Uh, it could be that buyers, um, maybe the respect that they have you have from you as a leader, maybe perhaps it's, it's twisted a little bit where they think they could learn something or it's like, I've got the top guy here and therefore I'm going to give him his time. Yeah. You don't shut the boss up, right? <laughs> but the, in the buyer-seller situation, the buyer's the boss, right? Yeah. So you, they give the salesperson half the time that you would give your boss yeah. to talk. But even with a leader, you don't get 30 minutes to tell a single story. Yeah. You get about four or five, and that's it. Now, you may have a one-hour presentation, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be an hour talking about the barbecue you had last week sure. or whatever the story you're going to tell. Yeah. That's got to be short. Okay. Is it important? Let's, so let's say you've got this hour-long presentation. Mm-hmm. You've got three or four stories mm-hmm. that you're going to tell. Do they need to have this connectivity and this linkage from one to the other? So they, they certainly all should further your objective, yeah. right? Um, as everything in that presentation should further your objective. But they don't have to be like three stories about the same person or the same at all. Okay. It's just that whatever stories you tell are going to fill a certain role in your presentation. Oh, at this point in the presentation, I need to help my audience see on a more visceral level how things are going to work out if they say yes to my recommendation. I might tell a a future story, a vision story about how things will look in the future if you say yes. Mm -hmm. But in a different place in the presentation, I need to resolve their objection that, well, this is going to cost too much. So I need to tell a story that's going to help them realize the value, the financial value of this, uh, as opposed to the future. You know, so it's a different story about different people, different situation, but it's playing a specific role in your entire presentation. To that end, what are some of the common mistakes that people make Mm. in those situations? Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, a lot of them are right at the beginning, um, and you've you've seen this happen before. Uh, in fact, I, I tell people, don't start your stories this way. Don't start by apologizing or asking permission to tell a story. And you and I have both seen that happen, right? You be in a meeting in a conference room, eight or ten people around the table. Somebody will raise their hand and say, oh, "I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, can I tell a quick story?" I promise it'll just take a minute. Mm-hmm. Right now, what does that tell you about how important they think the story they're going to tell is? Yeah. Not very, right. right? If they're already apologizing and asking permission to tell it, clearly they don't think the story is as important as what was going to be said anyway. Yeah. And if that's the case, don't tell it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just get right. back to the bullet points on slide number 72. <laughs> right. But if you do think your story is important, just tell it. No, no apology, no asking permission. You know, in fact, I tell people, don't even tell people you're going to tell a story. Right? Don't announce, okay, I'm going to tell you a story now. Right? We're grown-ups, right? I mean, that, that kind of makes it feel like you're a kindergarten teacher. All right, gather around, boys and girls. It's story time. I mean, <laughs> we, we don't need that with grown-ups. You yeah. just start telling the story with no apology, no permission, no announcing that it's a story. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to make it up? Yeah, so rarely. It's probably the best single-word answer I could give to that. So in my experience, 95% of the time, I'm able to find a true story about the thing that I want to tell a story about. Mm-hmm. But there are those times where I can't. And I do think in those few situations you can, but only under one condition. I'll let you guess what you think that condition might be. Uh, when it's relevant to something that's true. Yeah, so uh, you certainly want that. The, the thing I'm thinking of is that you tell your audience that it's it's fiction. Oh, gotcha. Right? So, full disclosure. Full disclosure, yeah. right? Otherwise, you've lied to them, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and you'll get found out, and that's no good sure. for anybody. So, so instead of, I, I don't like to call it making up a story, but I would say a fictionalized story or a hypothetical story. Mm-hmm. So as long as you start your story out, you know, something like, okay, well, imagine if this were to happen. Or to start it out, 
Okay, so I don't have a, an actual example, but I know this is the kind of thing that happens on the time, and it probably goes something like this, right? So you're giving the audience some indication that what you're telling them is a hypothetical. It's, it's a fiction. Yeah. And as long as they know that it's a fiction, then they're, they're, you're not deceiving them at all. Yeah. But I do think that, that sh you, you should do your audience and your message. Uh, you would do them a disservice if you didn't try really hard to find actual true stories first before you jump to that last-ditch effort. Gotcha. That makes complete sense. We, today we live, and, and certainly brands live in this, it's a data-driven world, mm -hmm. right? We make a lot of decisions based upon data. Mm -hmm. Sometimes maybe we make too many decisions based solely mm -hmm. on data. Uh, is it possible to tell interesting stories with data? Yeah, yeah so it is. And here, here's where the word story probably gets misused a lot. P people will tell you anytime they give a presentation that has charts and graphs, you know, that, that, you know they're doing data storytelling. And, and I don't mind that. I mean, people can use words however, however they want, but um, just because you have a fancy chart and it, maybe it's very clearly clear with what it's trying to articulate, I wouldn't use the word story with that because it's just, it's just a clear chart to me. Uh, you can do story, real storytelling with data, but you have to use the same techniques. You know, there needs to be uh, activity. There needs to be a main character and, and, and activities that go on, a time and a place. And so the same techniques uh, can do data storytelling. So, for example, the, the best example of that I've ever seen was uh, a guy named Andrew Moorfield, who was the CEO of um, uh, an online lending company. So it was an online bank, basically, mm -hmm. making loans to small businesses. Sure. And at some point during his first couple of years, the company wasn't doing very well, and he, he, he didn't have enough money to make payroll. Like, he couldn't, you know, this happens for startups, right? So, so. Uh, he called all the employees into a, yeah, you, you, you've, you've seen that. You, <laughs> I may have experienced You, you may have experienced that, yes. You too may have experienced this, right? <laughs> so he calls all 25 employees into the room. Um, he goes up to a whiteboard, and he writes a number at the top of the board. And he says, that was our bank account balance at the beginning of the month. And then he wrote two other numbers underneath that. He said, those are the revenues we expect to get this month and the expenses we'll have to pay to keep running the business. He draws a line under it, does the math, and puts the result at the bottom, and he circles that number. And he says, that's how much we're going to have at the end of the month to pay your salaries. And he goes to another place on the whiteboard, and he writes another number, and he circles it. And he says, and that's how much your salaries add up to. And then he just stopped and let the audience take in the stark situation in front of them because this number, <laughs> the salaries, was three times the size of this projected bank balance mm -hmm. number. That's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Now, instead of saying, hey, I'm out of cash, we're going to be short on salaries, so here's what I'm going to do, he showed them that whiteboard, one, two, three, four, five numbers. Five numbers he wrote on a whiteboard and just stopped and asked them, what do you think I should do about it? And they actually came up with all kinds of great ideas that he never would have come up with. Like he thought, well, I should just pay everybody a third of their salary, but they were like, no, no, we think you should pay a third of us everything and two thirds of us should get nothing. And he's like, well, how am I going to choose who to pay and they said well you don't we will go away for 20 minutes and we'll decide amongst ourselves and they did and they all wow. were happy with the outcome whereas everybody would be pissed off if yeah. he chose right so it worked out so much better that he just told this simple story with five numbers mm -hmm. let them draw the conclusion right because you don't have to tell somebody that I'm not going to make payroll if you show them the numbers yeah. and let them follow the math yeah. So to me, that's an example of storytelling with a, you can clearly see a beginning, middle, and end of the story, beginning, middle, end of the month. Mm -hmm. You can clearly see the problem, right? The, the, the challenge, the mm -hmm. villain in the story is that this number was bigger than this number, mm -hmm. right? And the, and the result of the story is what played out in the room. So sure. that's data storytelling mm -hmm. as opposed to fancy chart and graph. Yeah, wonderful. That's a, that's a great story. 
how does something like uh, how does the Brandemonium conference um, what does that do do for you and what kind of why are you here uh, and, um, and and what are you getting out of it well, I'm, I'm here because somebody asked me to. <laughs> Probably the same reason you're here, right? Uh, you know, and I, I want to give back to the community. I'm a, I live locally. I spent 20 years working at Procter & Gamble. Yeah. I still live in town. You know, uh, you know, the founders asked me to come check it out last year, and then somebody asked me to come do a panel discussion this year. So it's mostly right. just I want to give back to sure. um, the, the, the community, and uh, it was easy for me to do. And, you know, on, and on, of course, on a selfish note, if I bump into somebody here that, you know, wants to buy my books or hire me to come, you know, teach a storytelling class, which is what I do for a living, mm-hmm. Of course, I'm happy to do that as well. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's a possible positive sure. outcome for me of something like yeah. this. And I get to talk to interesting people like you along the way. So, I appreciate it's that. all good. And to that end, how can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, probably my website's the easiest way, which is leadwithastory.com. It links there to all my books and the training courses I teach and videos and stuff like that. Wonderful. I've got one last question for yeah. you. Because we are a uh, music and sound agency. Yeah. We have recording studios. How can music help to tell a story oh well music's like one of the original forms of storytelling right i mean you got cave paintings on or you know paintings on cave walls is number one right (laughs) Right? music i think is a close second behind that especially with good uh lyrics yeah um but music as you obviously know speaks to that part of the brain we were talking about at the beginning of this interview the 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 unconscious emotional part of the brain just music with no lyrics right speaks to that part of the brain um, as opposed to the other side. So uh, it absolutely can be some great storytelling in, in music. Wonderful. Well, thanks for that. That's a wonderful wrap. I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to, to meet with us today and to speak with us. And uh, good luck with everything. Yeah, thanks. And really, it's exciting work. Yeah, it was uh, fun to be here. Thanks. Take care.